We are going to be continuing in our sermon series, Worship for Weary Souls, Communal Habits and Daily Rhythms of Grace. We just have a few more weeks left in this sermon series. Uh, As a reminder, we have been uh, walking through the portions of the Daily Prayer Project. Uh, And so we have this morning on prayer, uh, next week on abiding. (coughs) I'm sorry, I've got a tickle in my throat. And then, uh, and then we have the benediction, and then that's it, the, just those three. Uh, and then we'll be moving into a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Um, I've been wanting to do this for, for quite some time, but we're uh, excited to get into this and learn lots. Uh, some of you are like, oh no, why is he going to touch that book? Others of you might be too excited. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a lot of varying emotions when it comes to the book of Revelation, but we are uh, going to walk through that together, and uh, I'm excited to walk through that. Uh, certainly over the last few years, uh, lots of people have had lots to say about world events that have been taking place with the pandemic and all sorts of things, and uh, people constantly are trying to connect things to the book of Revelation. So we're going to walk through how, how do we actually responsibly read this book as Christians and understand what God is actually trying to teach us, which is uh, if someone gives you a, a, like a, a little uh, booklet about the book of Revelation, it most certainly is not what the book of Revelation is trying to teach you. Uh, so we're going to actually wade through what this is and, and how to walk through that. So I'm excited about that, but uh, that is coming up. Uh, well, In uh, recent years, after every uh, tragedy that seems to come up, which seems to come up over and over and over again, there's uh, an immediate response to tragedies these days in a couple of different ways. One is people immediately offer their thoughts and prayers to whatever tragedy comes up. Now, on the flip side of that, people offering their thoughts and prayers to whatever tragedy comes up, often there is an immediate response of criticizing people for offering thoughts and prayers and not actually doing any action, which sometimes, let's be honest, is really doing the same thing, right? A tweet criticizing thoughts and prayers and calling for actions from, some, from someone else to absolve the guilty conscience. I did my part at yelling at people who aren't doing anything, and my part was yelling at people and not doing anything, right? Like, uh, often our response is really the same thing. And, and part of it is we don't really know how to respond to tragedy well. Now, this isn't universally true for everyone, uh, and certainly I'm not trying to defend this morning uh, this idea of thoughts and prayers as a standalone or substitute for any action that should be taken in light of tragedies. Uh, but... As we are in the midst of the daily prayer project, the question is, in the face of such unrelenting tragedies, which seem to be happening over and over again, personally, corporately, locally, nationally, internationally, this takes a physical, emotional, and spiritual toll. And in the face of all of these things, what is prayer good for? Why pray in the midst of such uh, tragedies that happens? What is it good for? Well, this morning what I would like to do is connect 
the prayer and the, the next section of the Daily Prayer Project, the abiding, uh, for the next two weeks, we're actually going to look at the connection between those two things and kind of walk through them kind of hand in hand. Because if you've been doing the Daily Prayer Project, you might notice that uh, the distinction between the prayer section and the abiding section feels like a little arbitrary, right? Like the prayer section, there's a, uh, a written prayer that you can pray through from uh, somewhere throughout church history or throughout the world today. Uh, and then you get into the abiding section, and there's a couple of things that you can do in the abiding section, but then there's a suggested prompted prayers, right? And so it's like, wait, were we praying here? Are we praying here? What is the connection. And I think there's an intimate connection between these two things. And so what we're going to do is actually unpack uh, both of these things sort of from the same passage, looking at kind of different angles of the same idea over the next two weeks. All right. Does that make sense? So what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, the connections between these two parts from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now, we've been in, uh, we've referenced or been in John uh, 15 through 17 quite a bit throughout this sermon series in looking at uh, what is Jesus teaching with his disciples uh, the night that he is betrayed before he goes to the cross. This is pretty intimate connections between Jesus and his disciples and very important connections where Jesus teaches a lot of things about what it means to follow him uh, when he's gone. So, I'm going to read for us uh, John 15, 1 through 11, and then we'll kind of focus in on a few things. I am the true grapevine, this is Jesus speaking, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. You're... Some of your translations might use the word abide, which is where we get the abiding section that we'll be talking about next week. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now we're going to be looking at uh, various sections of this passage over the next two weeks. But this morning we want to focus in on one particular verse, John fifteen seven. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, let's be honest, we hear that and we're like, really? Really, Jesus? You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted? This does not seem like the Christian thing to talk about when it comes to prayer. Are you sure you can ask for anything, really? 
Well, Jesus has actually already said this. John 14, 12 through 13, Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You will ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So in this liturgy of Jesus that we've been looking at, we're going to be seeing the connection between prayer and abiding. Now, what it means to ask for anything is something we're going to talk about as we get into this. We're going, to, we're going to address that, but that's really the question for us this morning is, do you mean anything? Ask for anything. What does that mean? But in order to get to that place, I want to do what we've been doing throughout this sermon series, which is con- contrasting this liturgy of Jesus with the liturgy of the world, the way in which the world is seeking in, it, in uh, giving us habits and practices of worship to transform us into being who we are. This uh, habits and uh, attitudes and uh, ways in which we approach the world that shape who we are. And the world is seeking to shape us in a certain way. And religion is seeking to shape us in a certain way. And we want to look at both of those things and then actually walk in the way of Jesus. So, remember the context of Jesus saying, ask anything you want from me, is this upper room discourse. 14 through 17, in which Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room the night that he is going to be betrayed and handed over to death. It's in the midst of some turmoil, right? In the midst of uh, him about to be betrayed and arrested. Well, the question for us is, in the midst of great turmoil, what does the liturgy of the world seek to have us do? And just as I think there's a connection between prayer and abiding, I also think there's a connection between the way in which the world functions and the way in which religion functions in these two things. So the liturgy of the world that I want to look at today is doom scrolling and consumption. Doom scrolling, maybe as a phrase that you've heard, it's a newer phrase. Uh, Doom scrolling refers to this idea of in the midst of tragedy and turmoil, what you do is keep looking at more bad news over and over again, right? You just keep scrolling through whatever feed is on your phone and looking at bad things, bad news. Oh, wait, this happened? Oh, wait, no, this happened? Oh, wait, no, that happened? Oh, my goodness. And you just can't stop scrolling through. Now, I know that none of you know what that experience is like, right? Or maybe all of you know exactly what that experience is like. This is often the way in which we are encouraged, the way in which we are shaped to, to think about things in the midst of turmoil and tragedy. And part of that is just the habits of our world that we know what's going on on the other side of the planet all the time, and we're constantly breaking news. If you ever watch any news, either online, obviously, uh, if you get your news online from Twitter or wherever, it's constantly refreshing, right? There's constantly new things. But if you ever watch uh, any sort of news show, do you notice that it's literally always breaking news? There is nothing other than breaking news. Breaking news used to be like, hey, actually, there's something you should... But everything is something we should look at. It's the first time you've heard this. It's the first thing of this. And it's usually bad news. We're thinking about difficult things and continuing to run after this negative 
news. Now, often what we do uh, in this is, not only do we do that certainly in looking at the news and watching through what's happening in the world, but often we're, we feel the urge to move in this direction when we think about any of the hard stuff in our own lives. Anytime there's something hard in our own lives, our knee-jerk reaction, because we're being trained in this, right, is to actually look at the difficulty in other people's lives or around the world so that we don't have to think about our own lives, right? Sometimes this is why we uh, binge a TV show, right, with a little bit of drama and a little bit of uh, turmoil, so that way we can actually impart our emotions into these characters who, when they die, it doesn't actually affect us, right? so that we don't actually have to deal with the emotions of our real life. We want to vicariously live through this television show or whatever it is, right? Because we want to escape the turmoil of our own lives. And so we continually look through these things. Now, this leads to being overwhelmed. Doom scrolling leads to being overwhelmed, which leads to the feast of the liturgy of the world, which is consumption. Consumption. When we're overwhelmed, we just simply start to consume things that make us feel better. And even if your response to the the tragedies of the world isn't to doom scroll, but to actually seek to fix something, even if you set yourselves to working for change, the question is, for what purpose do you work for change? Because if we take the liturgy of the world as a whole, from top to bottom, the world is teaching us that the purpose that we find is found in us ourselves. The purpose that we find for the world, we have to come up with that. And again, we will be encouraged then to simply consume. In the end, we'll choose consumption of the greatest amount of good to me because in the end, the world doesn't have any meaning apart from me. In the end... If we put this whole thing together, we create our own meaning, and that often leads us to consume because the world ultimately revolves around us. Even when our good service to others is for the purpose of soothing our guilty conscience. We feel better when we do good things, so that's why we do good things. Not because they're actually good things, so that we can feel better about ourselves. So we'll simply consume the world. That kind of mindset will never allow you to love others genuinely, especially your enemies. Especially your enemies. So we'll simply consume the world. Now how could we avoid such a thing? Only by abiding in Christ and having prayer that leads to action. But, but don't... don't Get this wrong that I'm saying only this liturgy of the world applies to those not of faith, non-Christians, those who aren't following Jesus. Uh, This actually applies to us as well. This doom scrolling and uh, consumption right, is exactly what's a part of us too as Christians because it's a part of our fallen human nature. James chapter 4 says this about prayer. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. You see, James is writing, thinking exactly about what Jesus just said. Jesus told you to ask for it. 
Just ask for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Oh boy. You see, the reality is, it's not just this thing going on in the world around us, but we ourselves are not receiving what we are asking for from God because we actually want to use it just for ourselves. You see, we are consuming the world around us just like the world is. And so we're content to just endlessly doom scroll and consume rather than to walk into something new and kingdom-oriented. Well, the response to this kind of approach might be a a, a liturgy of religion which would move us in the direction, okay, if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to be ones who are consuming the world, and if we're not going to doom scroll, we need to submit everything to God in prayer. And often, those prayers will look like performative prayers. We need to make sure that we are in opposition to what the world is doing. We need to showcase that we are actually submitting to God in prayer. But what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Now we're going to unpack a couple of these things kind of throughout as we look at what it means to pray in Jesus' name and what it means to pray and abide in Christ together. But one of the things I want to notice here is that the liturgy of religion would call us to very public displays of prayer. In opposition to what we see the world doing in continuing to uh, uh, doom scroll, continuing to give bad news after bad news, we're going to publicly display our thoughts and our prayers so everyone can see them. Well, we certainly have to speak to a tragedy. We have to speak to what happened. Do we? Do we? Right? We actually live our lives often in the realm of whatever it is didn't happen if I don't post something about it on social media. Right? It didn't actually happen if I didn't post something about it. So I didn't actually pray about this if I didn't say something about it. Which is ultimately the same thing that the world is doing. These performative prayers, this babbling that Jesus talks about, might be earnest, but it's not in Jesus' name, and it's not for the purpose of connecting with the Lord and seeing Him change the world. It's for the purpose of soothing my conscience. Because the liturgy of religion, ultimately the feast of religion, is judgment. An overwhelming sense of judgment. We're never praying enough. We're never praying enough. 
There are so many tragedies in the world, and we feel like we are never praying enough, and we are constantly measuring our prayer life. Like, did did we say enough? Did we do enough? Did we spend enough time? Did I read the thing? Did I do the thing right? Did I do this? Right? We're constantly spending our time either avoiding prayer and consuming the world or feeling the judgment of God and trying to measure up in our prayer life, but we never quite measure up. Let's free ourselves from this. The liturgy of Jesus is meant to free us, not to burden us. Remember, we started this whole thing with Jesus saying, Come to me if you are weary. Right? This is worship for weary souls. If you are weary from the world and the doom scrolling, and you're weary from religion, which causes you to measure your prayer life constantly and never fulfill it, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You see, we're going to find here in this section freedom in abiding in Christ to real and deep responses of prayer. So this is the connection between this prayer and abiding. Uh, I have seen uh, throughout this time in working through the Daily Prayer Project personally and, and kind of the flow of these things, I see the abiding section as the feast of the Daily Prayer Project. Everything is leading up to it, and then the benediction is sending you out from it. But this is the feast. This is the spot in which you are going to commune with God. So if we are going to do that well, we need to understand what it means to abide in Christ. Now we're going to look at this a lot more next week, what it means to abide in Christ. But simply put, abiding in Christ is our union with Christ and our communion with Christ. Abiding in Christ, remaining in Him, is being united with Jesus by faith and then communing with Jesus by faith. Okay, So what is union with Christ? Union with, union with Christ is probably the most pervasive language in the New Testament that is overlooked. <laughs> it's so pervasive. How often do you read Paul in his letters describing you as in Christ? Something about being in Christ. This language of in Christ is the language of union with Christ. When we trust Jesus, by faith, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ so that His life, death, resurrection, and glorification are ours in Him. So that Paul says in Colossians, your life is hidden in Christ. When He returns, you'll actually be revealed for who you are. Our life is so hidden in Jesus that when Jesus returns, who you really are in Christ will be revealed to the glory of God. This is how close our union with Christ is. So that what the Father says of Christ, He says of you. This is my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. So that Jesus' death on the cross to pay for your sin, actually paid for your sin, actually accomplished it, As though you yourself were there paying for it. That's how close your union is with Him. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it's as if you walked out of that tomb into new life. That's how close your union is with Him. And this is granted to you by the Holy Spirit 
by faith. If you trust in Jesus and him alone for salvation, it is yours. Objectively, it's yours. That's your union with Christ. It cannot change. Now, in light of that, to abide in Christ, we need to experience that. We need to have communion with Christ. Communion with Christ. We need to have relationship, right? Uh, in modern language, we talk a lot about uh, uh, Jesus, following Jesus being a relationship and not religion, right? That there is this give and take relationship where we are engaged in talking with and knowing God and he knows us. The old language for that would be communion with God. Communion with God, that you are experiencing his presence. You are sitting at his feet. You are enjoying who he is. You are experiencing who he is, and he knows you. It's why we call the Lord's Supper communion, because we are feasting spiritually on the Lord, feasting on him. This communion with Christ is really what prayer is. Prayer in its most basic form, is communion with God. Relationship with God. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this union and communion with Christ next week as we talk about what it means to abide in Christ and detail some of these pieces. But I want to hit on the prayer aspect of this this morning. That our prayer is communing with Christ, connecting with Jesus. So if that's really what prayer is, then you can see why we don't want to move into a sort of performative prayer that we are going to display for the world or a measured quota of prayer. If you're united with Christ, why do you need to perform? If you're united with Christ, why do you need to measure? It's already yours. You just get to enjoy it. It's yours. You get to enjoy it. You're not working for it. You're not earning it. It is already granted to you. Already granted to you. This prayer, this relationship and communion with Christ. Now there are several ways in which we can express that prayer can express that union with or that communion with Christ. One way we can express that is through written prayers. I think sometimes when you when you land on the idea of communion with God and relationship with God, we struggle to 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 read a written prayer or something like that because we want it to be spontaneous. But the reality is uh, you and I aren't always good at spontaneous things, right? I mean, in relationship Maybe, maybe don't show your hands, but any of you in a romantic relationship ever look something up to inspire you to write something for your significant other? Right? It wasn't just all spontaneous. Wait, you, you listened to some, or you got some ideas from somewhere? Right? It's okay to pray a written prayer. It's okay. It's good for us to actually admit that we're not the only ones in communion with God. Part of the way in which we resist a sort of individualistic faith is by recognizing we are connected. Our communion with God is connected to one another in this room and to Christians around the world today and throughout all of history. And so it is good and right for us to recognize we're probably not the first ones to deal with this sort of tragedy, whatever it is that we're dealing with. 
We're probably not the first ones to ever deal with this. We should actually lean on the whole of the church for these things. Now, there are multiple ways in which we can, multiple aspects to how we can look at prayer. Some ways that you can do this is, if you've heard of this acronym of ACTS, which is Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. These are four ways of looking at prayer. One, adoration, just simply being adoring who God is. Part of our prayer should be praising and adoring who God is. Again, not because you have to, but because He really is glorious. If you're really united with the God of the universe, how many of you have seen these new photos from the telescope? Right? Have you guys seen this? It's insane. Right? It's like, I can't remember uh, what it was described as. It's like a a grain of sand uh, an arm's length away. Like this is about how much we have seen of the universe in this one picture. And everything that wasn't like a super bright thing was a galaxy. That's insane. God knows every part of it. Every part of it. Every single star he knows. And placed there specifically. Right? Throughout, this is the culmination of centuries of human advancement to be able to see the tiniest fraction of this thing. And it has always existed simply to glorify God. Simply to showcase how insanely glorious and powerful He is. It is glorious. He is truly worthy of our worship. So don't adore God because you have to. Adore God because He's worthy. And then we can come to Him in confession. Again, not because we have to. If we are in Christ, if we have confessed our sins to Christ... If we have come in faith to Him, we are fully forgiven. Then why do we come and confess our sins? For healing. That's what James tells us. James tells us that our healing comes from confessing our sins to one another. Certainly our healing comes from confessing our sins to God. By being in communion with Jesus, by being honest about the things that are really happening in our lives. You see, the security of our union with Christ allows us for honesty in our communion with Christ. So we can truly be honest and confess because we are truly secure in Christ. And then we can be thankful. We can give God thanks for the things that He has done for us. And then finally, we can ask for His help. Supplication. We can ask for God to act in our lives, and in the world today. Now, often, here's the crazy thing about this. We're going to see this connection next week, too. But, you know, immediately after this uh, section on asking anything, what does Jesus say? He says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Then he goes on in the section that we didn't read to say, This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. Often, in the midst of turmoil, we're praying for God to show up and act. And you know, the answer to that often is us loving our enemies like Christ loved us. You see, the things we're praying about 
We are often the answer to those prayers. You see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus says, pray for workers to be sent out into the harvest. And then you know what he does? He sends out 72 from among the people he's talking to to go share the Gospel. We are the answer to our prayer. We are often praying for God to show up and act in mighty ways because we're overwhelmed at the brokenness of the world around us. And often God is telling us in those prayers, you are the answer to that prayer by loving your enemies as I have loved you. By loving each other as I have loved you. By displaying the fruit of the Spirit and loving one another in action. Creating the fruit of good works in the world, right? This is exactly what he says. If you're connected to me, you're going to display this fruit of good works in the world. So this prayer, these supplications, these asking for God to show up in ways, it should lead to action loving like Jesus. Prayer leading to real action. Now, how we do this prayer, this adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, for, or however you want to word these things, and there's multiple ways that you can think about this stuff, we need to have space, as we've already talked about, for silence and solitude with God, meditating on His Word and connecting with Him. Real communion with God needs time and connection. We, there's just no other way around it. Relationships need time. Our relationship with God needs time and connection. Ways for us to commune with Him. And yes, we can ask for anything. How do we know what to ask for, though? And can we really ask for anything? Can we really ask for anything? Yeah, you can. Because here's the thing. Whatever you're asking or wanting to ask for, even if you know it's probably not a good thing, even if you, you heard James say, well, the reason you don't get what you ask for is because you want to use it on yourself for your own pleasure. Even if it's that, you know God already knows that you want that. Yeah. It might as well be honest with Him. Uh-huh. He already knows it. He already knows it. Now, He may answer no. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he already knows it. So yeah, ask for anything. But how do we know what to ask for and how do we know when we're asking for things that uh, align with what Jesus is actually doing in the world? Certainly, the context of these passages is abiding in Jesus and getting the Holy Spirit. The context of these passages is you're going to ask for anything and also I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Meaning he's saying, ask for the Holy Spirit and I'm going to give them to you. Ask for the fruit of the Spirit. Ask for God to work in these ways. Ask for God to show up in these ways, right? That certainly is the context, and it's in the context of abiding with Jesus. But what abiding in Christ does for us is actually bends our will to align with His. You see, prayer, God certainly is using prayer. We have examples of this all over the Scriptures. One of the places I thought about preaching from this morning was in the book of Isaiah, When Hezekiah, the king of Israel, is surrounded by the Assyrian army, and the leader of the Assyrian army continues to mock God's people. He's like, don't trust what Hezekiah says about trusting in God. Have the gods of any of these other nations stopped our army? And he just lists off all these nations. 
And Hezekiah goes and he spreads out this letter that he receives before God. And he prays, God, show up. And Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, because you prayed, and then gives his oracle. So God says, I'm answering your prayer. And he answers their prayer by the angel of the Lord comes and wipes out 185,000 of their troops. And they flee. And this actually is attested to in historical records of uh, some sort of plague that uh, hits the Assyrian army and they flee. And the king is actually then killed in uh, his temple. But this is, because you prayed, I'm showing up in action. God really does use our prayers. This isn't this robotic thing that we just simply do. We are, now I can't explain this. God is completely sovereign. He knows all things. He is ordaining all things. He's working through all things. And he uses our prayers to accomplish his work in the world. That's all I'm going to say about it. I can't explain why that's the case or how that works. But that's simply what the scriptures teach. So because we pray, kingdom things will happen. It's absolutely true. It's not this robotic thing. But our prayers in praying for kingdom things to be accomplished actually transform us to know God's heart. You know that when you spend time with another person, you begin to know their heart. You begin to know what it is that they would even ask for because you know them well. As we abide in Christ, we will know what it is to ask for and ask for things of the kingdom. In our union with Christ, we will understand these things. And not only that, but in our union with Christ, the Holy Spirit prays for us. If you want to switch up to Romans 8, starting in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Right? He's just honest. Paul. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying, we don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. Amen. The Holy Spirit prays for us. Not just the Holy Spirit. Jesus prays for us. Hebrews 7, 24-25. But because Jesus lives forever, His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through Him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So, the Father is ordaining all things for the good of those who love Him. The Holy Spirit is praying for you in your place. And Jesus is praying for you in your place. How can you mess up prayer? You can't. Come to Him and pray. Come to Him. The Holy Spirit is covering your weaknesses. Jesus is covering your weaknesses. The Father already knows what you need and wants to give it to you. Just come to Him in freedom. He knows it. You don't have to publicize it. Go in private to the Lord your Father and pray to Him and He will grant to you. But what about when He says no? What about when, because all of you are like, yes, that sounds great, but I know that I've asked for things that He said no to. What do I do about this? What do I do about this? 
Well, first, you need to remember his slowness. No may be a no, not right now. It may be a not yet. It may be a you've got to wait. Remember God's patience. He is really, we think of him as slow, but he is not slow. He works in his own timing. He is patient, and he's patient with our bad requests and our mixed desires. I'm sure all of you can attest and know of something that you prayed earnestly for that today you are like, thank you, Jesus, that you did not answer that prayer. Come on, all of us have that, right? Because he knows better than we do. We need to remember his love. Remember his care. Remember that he is good and does not desire to give us bad things, but desires to give us good things, that he is loving. And yet remember that his ways are higher than our ways. Even though that passage says that in Romans, right, it says God works all things together for the good of those who love him. You know that Paul goes on to list all of these things that cannot separate God's people from his love, famine, sword, death, all these things. You know why that can't separate us from God's love? Because God protects us from those experiences? No. No, that's not what it says. It's because God is with us in those experiences. God being for our good and working all things together for our good does not mean we won't experience hard things. In fact, the opposite. His ways are higher than our ways. Remember the saints that have gone before you when God says no. God has said no to many of his saints. Think of Abraham and Sarah waiting. God promised them that he would be the father of all the nations, and now he's waiting in his old age for a son. God said no so many times. Think of Moses, who didn't get to enter the promised land. God said no. Think of Naomi in the book of Ruth. And how many times God said no to her, taking away her husband and then her sons. Think of how many times Hannah heard no before the Lord gave her a son, Samuel. Think of David, who wanted to build the temple for God. That seems like a great kingdom purpose, and God said no. Think of the prayers of the early church in the book of Acts. They're constantly praying for the protection of the church. And sometimes that works out with earthquakes that free the prisoners. And sometimes that works out with Stephen being stoned. Sometimes God says no. Think of the saints that you know in your life who remain faithful even when they have prayed no, or even when they have prayed for things and hear no to things that you think are very good and kingdom oriented and God still says no. And finally, remember Jesus. Jesus heard no for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, God, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me, please do it. The answer was no. Jesus asked three times and the answer was no. For you. So that he would go to the cross and die in your place so that you could be united with him, so that you could come and pray and ask anything in the name of Jesus. So that you 
Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, can come and ask for God to save you from your sin. And He will answer that prayer. So that you, who are not worthy to be in His presence, can actually come and hear, I love you. You are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find help. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because of what Jesus has done in your place, you can now boldly come into the throne room of God, experiencing His presence, and come and ask for Him to show up. Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord, asking Him for the things of the kingdom, because He has done all things for us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you now and we ask for you to show up in mighty ways right now in our hearts and lives. Lord, we need you. We need you desperately. We need you to show up in mighty ways. We are ones who, Lord, are fickle. We run away. We are tempted by so many things. And yet, Lord, you still love us. Tell us not to hide or clean ourselves up before we come to you, but to come boldly into the throne room because you have loved us in Christ. Let us know our union with you, Jesus, so that we can commune with you, God. Would you do that for all of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.